Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Barbie has grossed a billion dollars in the last 17 days. And unless you've been living under a rock, you will have seen all the marketing efforts and it really seems to have paid off. But as a small business or a startup, you're not going to have that same kind of budget to promote your brand or your launch. But what can you do? So today I'm joined by Stephen Moffat of Organic Publicity, who played a part in the UK launch of Barbie and many other films. And we are going to talk about his top tips from a marketing point of view in events about what you can do. Thank you very much, Stephen, for joining me today. Pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Nicole. So tell me more about what you do and organic publicity. So I'm the executive uh, director of events and experiential, which means that we put brands in front of people and let them experience it for themselves, if that makes sense. So we'll do things from anything from premieres to experiential moments to activities that are on the street in the public's mind and let them sort of encounter and come across various films, various television brands, and experience them for themselves. Fantastic. And you've recently worked on a very pink movie. Very pink movie. Yes, literally. Um, There was a worldwide shortage of pink paint, as you've (laughs) no doubtedly heard. Um, So we were responsible for the event launch for Barbie in the UK, which was uh, very, very exciting to work on. And I think what's interesting in terms of working on a project of that sort of scale is a lot of people think that the mechanics and the thought behind those sorts of projects don't relate to them because they don't have the same budget or they don't have the same scale. But yeah. of course, um, when you when you boil things down to um, the sort of nuts and bolts of creative thinking and how you get your product in front of someone, the essence and the the sort of, I suppose, the key thoughts are pretty much the same. So even if you're looking at launching a new product, launching a new business, or trying to grow your business into sort of something a bit bigger, I think that there are fundamentals that um, you can focus on and learn from that will help you. So, you know, whenever we look at a big film launch or a television launch, for example, we'll sit down and we'll creatively think about how we want to position that product in the market. And obviously, you know, a project like a big international film will have an international marketing team that sit down and create a campaign around it that then the regions will tap into and localize. And that's also interesting from a small business point of view, because, you know, you might not have an international marketing team, but you will have a global way of thinking about your product or your business. And then likewise, you need to sit down and think to yourself, right, well, that's my sort of global view. And when I say global view, I'm not meaning around the world. I'm meaning my overall view of my product or my business. And then you need to sit down and think, okay, well, that's, you know, that's my sort of overview, but how do I now tweak that into making it specific to certain key targets? And so, for example, you know, how do we make it specific to the London market or how do we make it specific to the European market? So if you're doing, if you know, from a small business point of view, how do you make it specific to your key markets? 
So I think that that's something that anyone running a business or trying to promote a product needs to think about. So with that, then thinking of who their key target audience is correct, and, and nailing it down to them and to what they feel. And how, how do the teams that you've worked with and, and yourself tap into that market in terms of what they're going to connect with? Well, I, I think our first, the first thing that we do is we we create what we call our elevator pitch. You know, that elevator pitch is like a one or two sentence line that exactly nails what you're trying to achieve. So for example, with Barbie, she's everything, he's Ken. That was the elevator pitch. And then everything that you do works through that sort of positioning statement, if that makes any sense. And I think anyone yeah. from a business point of view needs to work on their elevator to pitch because you know many people that I've spoken to, for example, if you say what do you do, they'll give you a very long-winded explanation where they're almost trying to sell you what they do in a non-concise way. And I think you have to sit down and really think to yourself, what is it that I do? So for example, you may sell a detergent, but is that really what you do? No, you sell people the dream of clean homes, for example. And so that elevator pitch, like, for example, Barbie, you could have said, oh, well, we're, we're, we're doing a film about a doll. Yeah. Well, not really, actually. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so I think you've got to define your elevator pitch quite carefully. And with that pitch, work out who you are trying to target. Who, who, who is, what is your audience? And why would the elevator pitch resonate with that audience? Does that make sense? And so immediately people might be sitting down and thinking, well, you know, I don't have a massive brand. I don't have a worldwide sort of brand history that I can tap into. Of course you don't, but you can create those emotional connections with your audience. So you need to sit down and think to yourself, okay, my elevator pitch is this. Why is that important to people? And how can I enhance that importance in a clever way that creates an emotional connection? Does that make sense? Yeah. So again, you know, from a from a Barbie point of view, I think one of the cleverest elements of that campaign was when they announced their characters or, or their, you know, the cast is they announced the cast, but with a selfie generator. Yeah. So they immediately, for example, got people to feel in, you know, a part of the film and a part of the campaign because you, I mean, you, you couldn't have missed on, on social channels, the, I am this, I'm Barbie, I'm this Barbie, I'm that Barbie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So creating an emotional connection immediately with people and, and giving them an opportunity to participate in the experience. Now, of course, how do you do that from a, from a sort of, a more personal business point of view, you need to think about what your value is to someone. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so, you know, from a film point of view, that value is normally quite short lived. You're trying desperately to get people to see something in a very short window, which of course is very different to a sort of business model where you have much a sort of longer term approach. Does that make sense? But yeah. the, I mean, the fundamentals I mean are still there. You need to work out what it is what that emotional connection is to, to your audience and who your audience specifically is. Because obviously there'll be multiple audiences. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I suppose with the Barbie movie, it's a very, it's quite a broad range. Exactly. Last night, my mother-in-law, who is 82, went to see, went to see the movie. And my, my children are going to see it today. today. Yeah. So you've got a very broad audience. That was one of the joys of that film is that, the, you know, the target market was incredibly broad. And that's not necessarily always the case. You know, for example, yeah. earlier this year, we launched Evil Dead Rise, mm -hmm. which was the sort of continuation of the horror franchise. 
And then, you, then you're dealing with a very specific audience, an audience that likes gore, an audience that likes yeah. blood, and an audience that loves scaring themselves. Does that make sense? So one of the key things that we did looking at that film was what, what is the key thing that you want to sort of focus on? And what we decided, having a look at our market, having a look at our key targets, having a look at why they go to horror films, was that actually people like to scare themselves. And it's that sort of safe scare where you know that it's unreal. And, you know, one of the key things that we found when people go to horror films is that the question is, do you actually scream in the cinema? Are you one of those people? So we launched a thing called the Scream Booth, where, you know, you could go into this booth. We put in a monitor to level to, to measure the sort of scream level. And if you hit a certain level, it took your photograph and then emailed you a keepsake that said, you know, you'd reach decibel level X. Yeah. Um, and people loved it, you know, and people were queuing to get into the screen booth to be able to measure their own screams. Um, and so we tied into that fun element of yeah. being scared. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that you said there in terms of, you know, why do you go to this and watch this? And it's, understand, you know, why do you buy a certain product, whether it's a film, whether it's, mm. a, like you mentioned, a detergent, whether it's, you know, a kid's item of clothing, you know, what drives you to that purchase? And do you do a lot of work then into that why with your absolutely it's essential and there are multiple whys and once you've looked at what those whys are and you've worked out what you think are the whys that you should focus on because it's impossible to try and focus on all of them with a a budget Um, and you've got to spend your budget cleverly and you've got to spend your budget where you think um, I mean in some instances from a small business point of view you may not even have a budget but you have access to tools that are free to you. So for example, social media, you may be doing your own content, but you've got to tweak your content to the the why that you think you're solving for a particular audience um, segment, if that makes sense. And I think something else from a, it's easy for people to, I've often had the question asked of me of like, but what you're selling is creative and you've got so much to play with. And that's true from a film or television point of view. I mean, to give you an example, last week we launched, um, we are Newcastle United for, for Amazon Prime and we had players there and we had, you know, the club owners and yes, you've, you've got tools to use. But even then, we still have to make sure that those tools are used in the right way to the right market. So we launched the the show in Newcastle for club fans. And that's where we targeted that particular event. Of course, we then maximized that on social media and with media and press, for example. But from a small business point of view, I think the, the, the essence of creativity is what's important because I think a lot of small business owners focus on their product, focus on what they're doing, but forget the fact that they themselves need to be creative in order to be able to get people engaged enough to want to buy their product or service. So I've met many business owners who who will turn around and say, yeah, but I'm not creative. You know, I'm selling this or I'm doing that. For example, I've many coaches, online coaches, as an example, say, oh yeah, but I'm here to help people. I'm like, yes, but how do you help people? Oh, you know, I talk to them. I'm like, but what are you creatively doing? Oh, no, I'm not doing anything creative. Well, of course you are. You're creatively coming up with ways for people to reassess themselves and to re-examine themselves. Does that make sense? And there are creative ways of saying that you do that. So, for example, one of the things that we do when we look at at a campaign or at a new product is we do a thing called the Apple Test. And, you know, the simple thing is you put a green apple in front of someone and say, what is that? And they'll say it's a green apple. And you go, yes, but what is it? And people often just come back and say, it's it's, it's a green apple. I'm like, okay. So then we 
we applied something called the keyhole test. And we say, right, if you were, if there was a keyhole in the middle of that apple and you had to stare through the green apple, the obvious thing that's in front of you, what else does that green apple represent? And so you have to try and focus your mind. And you go, okay, well, it's crunchy. It's delicious. It's juicy. It's a teacher's gift. It's a sign of respect. And you push through the obvious and you start seeing all of the emotional layers that actually have meaning to people. So, for example, someone might not feel like a green apple today, but someone might actually really like the idea of something sweet and juicy that crunches in their mouth and actually gives them a little bit of, um, you know, of of nectar, for example. So you have to do the apple test and you have to do the keyhole and push through the immediate obviousness. So even if you're sitting back thinking, well, my product's a bit dry or, you know, I know what I'm doing. This is what I do. There's no other way. There's no other creative way of saying it or or, or representing it. That's hogwash. It always is. And it's that it's finding that, that little nuance that actually has a resonation with people that will make people want to buy and engage with you. And in terms of So there's a lot of work and creative process that goes into the launches. And I think what some small businesses are guilty of is just launching the next day and not doing that breadcrumbing, that kind of in advance. How far with what you work on, how, and I know it will vary depending on the project, but you know, I mean, literally, of- when we when we talk about film and television, sometimes our lead times are incredibly small. But that's because obviously we're looking at a specific launch window, and we want to target, and we want to inc- and we want to create as much hype and awareness within a small window prior to launch. I think from a business point of view, you want to do the same, but you've got a far longer term vision for what you're doing. And so from a breadcrumbing point of view, I think what's important there is that you you plan a strategy that you can build on. You know, there's there's been many an example where someone will, will go to market, launch something and say, this is what it is, but then they've got nothing else to say. And then they don't understand why people aren't continually engaging or buying. And that is because you need to create a sort of narrative arc. And I understand that in in certain situations and for certain SMEs, that narrative arc, people will think, oh, well, I've said what I, I've said what I do, but you've got to continuously find ways of saying that again, but in a creatively engaging way. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, looking at Barbie as another example, you know, the selfie generator, great. But then Tying into someone's emotion, launching, for example, the dream house on Airbnb and allowing the entire world to imagine what it would be like staying there. Yeah. And that's what that project did. It wasn't just about giving some lucky winners the opportunity or bidders or whatever the case would be the opportunity of staying there. It was a global PR hit, giving everyone the opportunity to imagine what it would be like staying there. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And I think from an imagination, try it on, so to speak, to kind of feel it. Exactly. To try it on, just yeah. to like be like, oh, what would that be like? And the moment you engage that kind of lust in someone, that sort of wanderlust, yeah. then people want to try and engage with you. And of course, if if engaging with you means seeing your movie, which is in this instance what we wanted people to do, then job done. So you want to create that sense of intrigue, that sense of excitement, and that sense of wanting more. And that is sometimes very difficult if it's a physical product that's not very exciting, for example. But that physical product is always fulfilling a need in someone. And whenever you're fulfilling a need in someone, you are answering a creative or an emotional want. Does that make sense? And yes. so it's looking at what that want is, what that emotional need is, 
And then giving people various ways of understanding that or engaging with that. Does that make sense? So would that be kind of going back to your keyhole test again? Yes, exactly. I mean, to give another example, a project we worked on a while ago to promote London, we were asked by Visit London, the, the London Tourist Board, to promote London. <laughs> Not, you know. Was that the brief? Promote London. Yeah, promote London. Promote London and encourage tourism. And so we looked at that and, you know, that's daunting. That's a daunting task. And it's very broad brief, isn't it? Something Correct. Like so what we did was we looked at London, the apple, and we said, right, what else? What you know, what what does London mean? So we focused on key sort of areas. And the areas that we looked at or that we focused on through the key test was what does London mean to people? Mm-hmm. So London meant to people, for example, theater. London meant fashion. London meant cool music scene. London meant museums. London meant sports, soccer, football. I say soccer because obviously one of our targets was America. And so we looked at those, what London meant. We focused on our keyhole sort of technique and decided that we would use key sort of elements. And the elements were theatre, music, museums and sport. And the projects, the the, the elements that we came up with, we were like, okay, so theatre, you know, there's a whole raft of different kinds of theatre. What do we do on a limited budget that will engage people's imaginations? And so the idea we came up with was to create a Guinness World Record. And the Guinness World Record, which still stands today, I'm delighted to say, was uh, we were going to put someone in the most musicals in one evening. Right. OK. Does that make sense? So the nightmare we had was that in order for it to be a Guinness World Record, the the, the guys at Guinness World Records were like, OK, you have to... You can't just put someone on a stage. They have to be in a scripted role within the show. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we were like, okay. So we sat down and we started working out which shows we thought we could get involved. We started having conversations with producers. It was obviously nightmarish because we had to have, not only did we have to find scripted roles, but we had to find scripted roles in sequence that would allow us to get um, our sort of celebrity to go from one show to the other in time and to do it all. So we managed to get, we used Jerry Hall and we managed to get her into six musicals in one night. And we took her on the back of a motorbike. She wore costumes. She wore, you know, I mean, I think at one point she had three different costumes on and uh, we got her into six musicals and that made global PR. The PR hits were were unbelievable. Another example was um, we launched the first ever fully wrapped London double-decker buses and, uh, this was a while ago. But for example, so we got um, various fashion designers to create fashion wraps. We launched the buses on Trafalgar Square. The buses went into, into service and you could drive on the Paul Smith bus, for example. Yeah. And again, you know, that created a bit of, uh, it, it created PR buzz, it created awareness, and it just showed London as cool space where suddenly buses were getting a fashion makeover. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you you had your ideas and then you narrowed them down. The narrowing down, I think, is is a skill in itself as well, because you can you think broadly first and then you narrow it down to right, what do we think? What do we think is going to generate the, the most amount of press in the most amount of time? Is that then back to who do you want to target? Yeah. Exactly. So, for example, the bus example, it wasn't just about, oh, you know, we're going to do something relating to fashion and fashion's going to sell London. We then had to seed all of that information and all of the images of the buses and all of the information about the designers to various fashion leads. So, for example, we seeded fashion colleges around the world. We did. We, you have to do the back office work. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? You can't just you can't just do something and then think it's going to work and resonate. You have to put the sweat in, if that makes sense. So great coming up with an original idea, but you then have to actually make sure that you've you've ticked the boxes for the audience that you're wanting to to appeal to. And then you have to try and put that that work in front of them. So, for example, you know, if you're running a small business and you've decided that you're going to do an Instagram post targeting a particular audience and uh, you're going to write the Instagram post yourself, you're going to make a small film or whatever the case may be, you know, you can then just post that. Great. But it's like taking a picture of the fashion bus and throwing it on Trafalgar Square and hoping that the right person that's involved or interested in fashion is going to pick it up and have a look at it. That's never going to work. So it may be worth your while spending a little bit of money and targeting that post to your key audience. So targeting that post, for example, to fashion colleges, targeting that post to student forums or whatever the case may be, so that you're at least putting it in the right direction. Does yeah. that make sense? Knowing where the audience is. Even, so even if you've got a broad audience, Correct. You know, kids wear a brand or whatever, and you, you know that you're targeting, you're targeting the mums, like you said, the mums. Facebook exactly. groups or whatever it might be, or you're tell- selling a product that is going to make you have, that is going to help your baby have a night of sleep. Exactly. Exactly. Just like um, all you want them to. Correct. I mean, and for example, another thing was, uh, yeah, I, m- I mentioned museums. We focused more into art galleries and we did an initiative with the Tate where we got the Tate to agree for us to create paint by numbers of their mas- some of their masterpieces. And so we launched these massive paint by number canvases in key hotspot, public hotspots, like at Waterloo Station, for example. And members of the public were then invited to actually paint a masterpiece. And so you could paint, you know, your number and your color or whatever the case may be. And a simple little campaign like that showed the average person that was interested in art that actually they could get involved in it. They could become part of it. And our key message there was, you know, you might not be able to paint the masterpiece, but walking into a gallery makes you feel as though you're in that environment and that you can participate in the creative converse that the artist wanting to, wanted to create, for example. Yeah. I'm there might be small ways of just letting people get involved. Um, and I think I the think other important is- thing, which from a film point of view is quite difficult to do, is that you, you, I think, but from a marketing point, you want to help people. You want to provide value to people. You know, so for example, from a Barbie point of view, the value we were adding was fun and excitement and thrill and enjoyment. And, you know, and, and it managed to ride a very sort of great cultural wave. And people felt involved because of that emotional connection that, that the marketing allowed them to have. And so if you can, if you can crack that with your, your own product and on your own scale and within your own target market, then you're doing something interesting. People don't want to just be sold at. They want to have value given to them. You know, so for example, if you're a coach or if you're launching a small product, what is the value to that, you know, to your audience's life that you can add? through your product or through your campaign. To give you an example, and I can't remember the detail now, but it literally, it was like a detergent. And what this detergent did is they ran an online competition where you were asked to write a short paragraph about how that detergent changed your life, which sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Because how can a detergent change your life? But the content that came back from people and the the anecdotal stories about how a detergent had actually changed their life was amazing. And then, of course, what we used is we used that information and put it back out there and say and said, you know, this is how 
product X changed so-and-so's life. Yeah. And so you have a, your target market looking at um, user-generated content, which is also emotionally driven. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't just like, oh, I love using this product. It was like, this product changed my life in this way. Yeah. You know, and um, I think from a brand point of view, if you try to tell people how the product would change your life, you would look at it and think, and, you know, you'd be incredibly suspicious. But because it was, it came from consumers, by consumers, it made huge sense and people listened. Yeah. Anyway, so it'd be like, say, if you were a makeup brand and it's like, right, how did this lipstick change your life? What gave me the confidence that I knew? Exactly. I wore it on a date with my now husband and he, you know, whatever. So it changed my life because I now have two kids or whatever it might be, you know. Exactly. Um, Exactly. I mean, once we did a project for Bare Minerals and it was uh, to launch a new sort of foundation. And uh, we we held a revolution. We held a revolution in Selfridges. We had revolutionaries um, outside all dressed in pink who were like, you know, join the revolution. And uh the simple, the simple sort of marketing tool there was, you know, people like to shout about things that are good. And so, you know, Bear Minerals managed to break a couple of boundaries. And it was so we played on those boundaries and we let people sign up to the revolution. We even had a revolutionary at Hyde Park Corner um, on a soapbox talking about the benefits of um, of the product. Do you know what I mean? And little clever examples like that where people just you do things slightly differently that people don't expect. And then your product stands out. Yeah. So I think getting people involved is key to what you do throughout your process, isn't it, as well? Yeah. And it's just looking at what those emotional connections are to people. You know, so, for example, going back to the horror story, what are the reasons people will go to horror? Which reason are we going to choose? And, the you know, the reason we chose was people actually enjoy the scream. And there's a whole question about are you going to scream or not? Or you're going to jump. And so we focused on that. And it was that element of fun and that that element of emotional connection that uh, we decided would be a reason for people to go and see the film. How important is branding and that brand awareness then through, through this process? Brand awareness and branding is incredibly important. Um, and I think from a small business point of view, I can see, oh, I can feel a whole lot of small business owners going, yes, but I I don't have that brand awareness. I don't have that marketing budget, but I think you you can create it and you can start it. And so looking at your product, making sure that, you know, whatever, whatever the branding elements around it are tie straight back into that elevator pitch and are simple, easily identifiable and recognizable. And you start your storytelling about your product in an emotionally connecting way rather than just selling to people. And your story starts to build and your brand awareness starts to build. And, you know, you may need to start really small. Um, You know, I've worked on many a film and many a TV show that has got zero budget. And one of the biggest questions we have to face is, you know, how do we get this message out there? How do we tell people that this film's coming with no money? So you have to say to yourself, okay, well, where are easy wins? What's the target market that we think will actually start talking about this and doing our work for us, for example? So we spend what little money we have seeding a particular target audience in the hopes that they will then start speaking about it and creating and generating word of mouth. And so that focus can work for any business owner. You know, who is your key target market? What is the message that you're trying to say? And will that target market start talking positively about your product, your service on your behalf? Because that's the trick. Word of mouth is the is the sort of... Um, holy grail, isn't it? Exactly the holy grail. I'm glad you said that. I was trying. And Nady said Ark of the Covenant. I'm like, that's not right. It's exactly the holy grail. 
you know, and in film, we have this phrase, which is called a sleeper hit. And a sleeper hit is a film that's not had a huge budget. The awareness levels are not off the charts. It's not been tracking incredibly well, but it's so it launches and it launches fairly softly, but then it starts to build. And as more and more people see it, more and more people are saying, oh my gosh, have you seen that film? Or have you watched this television program? It's amazing. And you maintain, you try and maintain whatever you're doing throughout that process. So for example, if it's a TV show and you haven't had a massive budget, but you start to feel that there is a bit of word of mouth generating, then you just make sure that you don't give up. And you, you know, after episode one, you, you, you put out a little bit of information about what happened in episode one, what do you think is going to happen in episode two? And you keep the conversation going. And sometimes that can be, that can be a little bit sort of um, daunting because you think, oh, it's not working. But, you know, and then you look and, you know, there's a little seed here or someone said something there. You've got to keep going at it and you've got to keep building as much as you can. And I think it's important as well for people listening that, you know, we talked there about the sleeper hits and, you know, the word of mouth that people are using then. They're going after reviews and they're getting the reviews from customers that are and then using those reviews on their social media, on their channels, on their website to keep that momentum oh they bought it there's, there's a great hair care brand called only curls and i bought it for my son because he's got curly hair and the reviews yeah. are amazing exactly. and the product works and i've yeah. probably recommended it to about four people since i bought it for him you know and so you're it, an only curls that. marketing dream <laughs> and then you, know they you are the holy grail i need to delete <laughs> and get out of that WhatsApp kind of messages that they keep sending to me but it does and it, it for me it was but what you've hit on, you've hit on two things. Firstly, you've said it works. Yeah. And so that, of course, is, is essential. Whatever service or product you're wanting to provide has to add value. It has to work in the, in the first place. And you've got to be very aware and constantly critical, although I, I don't like the word critic because I have a whole thing about inner critics. And I think from <laughs> constructive Objective, criticism, maybe. exactly, yeah. exactly. But um, you've always got to constantly review what you're doing and what you're offering and make sure that it is working and it is adding value to people. And then secondly, once people have engaged with your product and they are enjoying it and it is working for them, then to convert them into brand ambassadors is the way to go. Yeah, it's well, it's that whole customer journey, isn't it? That awareness, first of all, and then that, you know, on that chain, you've got awareness, first of all, and then, you know, conversion, decision making, conversion, everything like that. And then they're the brand ambassadors at the end. And that's where you want to take them, isn't it? In terms exactly. of you want them exactly. to be reviewing and referring. And you talked there just about your easy wins. Are there things that you've, when, when you have low budgets, about being able to identify, right, that's going to, that's going to be one of our quick wins? It's always, you can never identify a quick win and know that it's a quick win. You can only identify a quick win having done your research and having had a look. For example, we've got a film coming up in September called Past Lives. Phenomenal film. One of the best films I've ever seen. Released by, it's an A24 production, but it's released by Studio Canal here. And uh, it's about love and the, the past lives that you have in your life. So it's not a spiritual thing. It's about, you know, so for example, you know, I'm I'm from South Africa. So I have a past life in South Africa, but now I'm here. Does that make sense? And honestly, it's one of the most well-written, heartfelt films I've ever seen, but it's in Korean. And so you sit with that and you think to yourself, okay, how on earth do we get a movie-going audience to see what is arguably one of the best films out this year, the most amazing, as created by a woman called Celine Song. She wrote the story based on her own experience. 
um, and directed it. And honestly, it's superb. But we're sitting with this, this issue of how do we get people to go and see a subtitle film in Korean? Yes, it's set in New York, but it you know jumps between Korea and New York. And it tells a phenomenal story of love between two individuals. How do you get them to see it? So we've, we've sat and we've grappled and we've had a look. And from an event point of view, you know, you can't just do a sort of normal film launch because it's got to be targeted. So we've sat and done a lot of work and thought, okay, well, how, how are we going to target it? And so one of the thoughts in terms of targeting is to focus on a sort of more Although we don't want to pitch the film as an art house film, because it's not an art house film, it will be bigger than just an art house film. What's that little kernel of inspiration we can seed into people's minds to make them think about going to see it? So one of our key audiences is the sort of art world. So we're looking doing an event that is particularly targeting the art world, but then seeding that art world crowd with people from fashion, people from um, society, so that that little word of mouth that we word of mouth effect that we want to create at that event, we are hoping will then spiral into a bigger sort of conversation. And that's, you know, that that film's budget is not Barbie, but we need to create a, a similar effect. And when I say a similar effect, obviously scaled, but a similar sort of talkability effect for that film that intrigues people and makes them want to see it and pushes past the boundary of language. Yeah. So it's it's never always easy. Yeah. And I think summing up some of the things that you've talked about in getting your elevator pitch right, being very clear on, clear on who your target mar- market is, but who your yeah. maybe more niche target market is as well, rather than Correct. going, I think what some brand owners do is they kind of go, well, I, I sell this product and it's for a 20-year-old and a 70-year-old, but it, of the core, who is it? So who Correct. are you going to market from a market point of view? Correct. And so, for example, from a, from a past lives point of view, you know, we could have spent what little money we had trying to broadcast the fact that this is one of the best films you'll see all year. It's not going to work. It's not going to work because that's not going to, you know, it it might touch some of your key target market, but it's going to get lost in the noise. And so rather than trying to broadcast as widely as you can, you literally want to have, you want to have specific conversations with key people because we're so confident in how good the product is. We know that those smaller, more budget focused conversations with the right people are going to create the effect that we want because they'll see the film and they'll be like, this is amazing. And then they'll tell their friends and they'll go onto social media and they'll talk about it. Um, and that's all you need sometimes to get a conversation going is it's like you and only curls. You're the perfect person. You you came across the, um, the reviews, you looked at the product, you used the product, it worked on your son and you're now a brand ambassador. Yeah. And that's what you've got to create for your own business. And you start small and you start where you can, but you make sure that when you do start, that you've really thought about it. You've identified that audience. You've worked out what the emotional resonances are with your audience. You've looked at your product. You've done the Apple test. You've gone through the keyhole. You've worked out what all of those reasons why someone would be interested in your product or why it would help them. And then instead of telling them that it's going to help them, you show them and you emotionally engage with them so that they actually understand the benefits. Yeah, I think that's great. Show me, don't tell me. Exactly. 100%. Never sell at someone. They don't like being sold at. Thank you so much for joining me today, Stephen. Where is it all film? And you mentioned some products that you've worked with. So if you're a product business or, you know, a larger product business, how can people work with you? Where do they find you anyway? Oh, yeah. So organic publicity is part of Havas Entertainment, part of the Havas Group, which is a big advertising group. 
We're based in King's Cross in London, in the uh, HKX building, which is number three, St. Pancras, Pancras Square. And uh, yes, we work on on a variety of products, a variety of launches, but organic specifically focused on entertainment and film and television. Do you do much tech and apps and that kind of thing as well or not? Not really, not not from an entertainment point of view. We're quite specific in terms of how we how we focus our our sort of work. Um, yeah. In the past life, I have worked with Google and uh, exec produced some of their largest global initiatives. Uh, one of them being called uh, Google Next, which uh, is their cloud computing platform. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting, but a very different world to to the entertainment world that I'm in now. Uh, thank you so much. Your links will be in the show notes. So anyone that wants to get in touch with Stephen and hear more about his world and what he does, then you can get in touch. And thank you very much for listening. I'll be back again next week with another great guest. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Start, Scale, Succeed. If you've enjoyed today, I would love for you to leave a review and I will see you again next week. If you'd like to hear more from me, your host, Nicole Higgins, you can follow me on Instagram at The Buying Retail Coach. Check out my website, www.thebuyingretailcoach.com or find me on LinkedIn. All the links are below in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter, The Step, for lots of helpful tips and advice.